0: All right. Well, good morning again. And uh, man, I, I'm excited to be uh, starting this series that we're calling Rediscover and, and really beginning to um, unpack, dive into uh, the, the, the unique mission that God has given us here. At New Beginnings, we believe that God has made this a very unique place, right? We believe he's put us in a unique location. He has given us a unique people who have unique passions and, and giftings and all of those things come together to mean we believe he's calling us to a unique mission. And today is about beginning to discover that together. And what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of begin by uh, walking you through for a few minutes... Um, Just how we got here, how we came to this place where we believed God was leading us toward a new mission. If you've been around New Beginnings very long, you know that we have been in a season of seeking the face of God like never before. We've been in this season of seeking God, of asking him to fill us, to give us his presence, to pour out his power on us. And by his grace, he has been doing that. And it's been in this um, uh, season of seeking the face of God that we've also been asking that he would give us clarity, clarity in what he is calling us to do and what the future of New Beginnings is going to look like. And so, you know, as a church, we've seen God do some pretty unbelievable things over the years, right? If you've been around New Beginnings a while, you know God has done some powerful things in this place. I just think about Carrie and I's 10 and a half years, and I'm thinking, I (laughs) can't. Some of the stuff we've seen God do is unbelievable. But around, as we started to get into 2019, a few years ago, for Pastor Todd and myself and our pastors and our elders, there just began to be this this sense of some restlessness in us, in in our leadership, in our church family. And that restlessness was because um, there seemed to be a, a lack of clarity about where God was leading us and what God was doing through us. Now, we saw a lot of good things happening. There were some good things happening, but what we weren't seeing and what we weren't experiencing was the manifest presence of God moving in power regularly among us. So we began to talk about this in 2019. More than that, we began to earnestly pray about it and then in March of 2020, everything changed. Right? COVID hit, and and this whole thing shut down. Where you were probably uh, shut down. And you know, I've got to tell you, um, that was a very trying season for your pastors and, and ministers. And just to give you kind of a a peek behind the curtain, that was that was a very long season of frustration, of self-examination, and really of wrestling in this tension about what New Beginnings was going to look like in the future. And then a year ago, God really began to speak to our hearts and move in the hearts of our pastors and elders and in our church family, and we returned to prayer. We began to pray. And I want to tell you what we saw as a fruit of that was God's manifest presence returned to our church. Um. And it was, he just began to renew us again at the beginning of last year. And it's been in that season of renewal in this past year of God renewing us as we've prayed that it has become evident to our leadership that God is taking us in a much needed new direction. So what we did was we just, we, we prayed and decided we would spend the balance of 2021 seeking the face of God God, where are you taking us? What is it that you're wanting to do? We spent a lot of time learning from other churches and church leaders uh, around the nation and really tried to be open to the possibilities for our future. And I want to tell you, during that season, our number one desire, and still is, our number one desire was to hear from the Lord. That was the number one desire, to hear from the Lord and to gain clarity of God's unique mission for us. And we said from the very beginning of that process, from the very beginning, we said, "God, everything's on the table. Everything is on the table. Our mission statement, our programs, our our our, um, our structure, everything is on the table." And I got to tell you, as a as a pastor, that willingness to to put everything on the table that was hard for me. That's hard because for some of us, we had ten plus years built into that. Built into that mission statement and that structure and those programs. But for every single minister on our staff and pastor on our staff, we were all bought into that and fully invested in it and had an enormous uh, amount of stake in it. But what we believed was that to fully hear from God and to, to keep our hearts fully open to what He wanted to do, we had to push everything on the table and go, God, whatever you want to change, you can change. Change whatever you want to change. It doesn't matter. Because if we're not on your mission, then our programs don't matter. So what what is it that you want to do? And so I want to tell you that while we're still building some of our strategy and still building some of our structure, uh, today I I get to share with you a a statement of identity, a statement uh, that to me clarifies the unique mission that God has called us to and the unique purpose that he has given to our church family. And this mission statement that we're gonna look at today is going to replace the old one. Now, it doesn't negate the old one, it doesn't make the old one invalid. Instead, what it does is it builds on it, it expands it, it, it clarifies it. And I know for a lot of us, you hear the words like a mission statement, and you're like, okay, who do I roll my eyes at? We're gonna do this, right? You know, because be honest. A a ton of places have a mission statement. How many of you would say at your job or at your school, you have a mission statement? You you have one of those. Great. How many of you would say that most of the employees could tell you that mission statement by heart? A lot fewer hands. There's not not quite as many. You want to know why? Because a mission statement is usually just words on a wall that nobody's doing. (laughs) Right? That's what it is. And when a new mission statement is rolled out, we go, oh, there's just a new way to say what we're not going to do, you know? And, and, but I want to tell you, we have arrived at this mission statement after hours and hours and days and days of prayer and research and study and seeking the face of God to find this unique calling. And what I think this statement does is clarifies the view of the future of new beginnings and implies to each one of us that our ability to reach the world around us, listen, will primarily happen outside the walls of this church, not in it. I believe that What God is doing in the future of New Beginnings, how he is going to change the world through us is going to happen outside of these walls, not in it, which means this, our ability to reach the city, our ability to reach our community and the communities around us where God has placed us is going to happen when we, the disciples who call New Beginnings home, when we engage the mission of being a disciple maker in our everyday lives, when we become disciples who make disciples that is when we win the city and it isn't until we engage in that in becoming disciples who make disciples that we will see the mission of God Advance. So let me, I want to give you our news. For some of you, you've seen this new mission statement. You've already, but for those of you who haven't, I know it'll be brand new for many of you. And so I want you to see this. I'm going to put it on the screen. You can feel free to take a picture of it, write it down. Uh, you can tattoo it somewhere if you're into that sort of thing. Um, here's the mission statement. We at New Beginnings, we're going to be a people connecting people to Jesus and his ever restoring life where we live, work, work, and play. just going to leave that up there for a minute. Our mission at New Beginnings is to be a people connecting people to Jesus and is ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. What do we mean by that? What do we mean by some of this language? And so what I want to do for about four or five minutes here is just give you about a 30,000-foot flyover of... This mission statement and give some clarity to this language we're, we're going to spend the, uh, the majority of our time this morning really discovering what it means to be the people Right people connecting people. What does it mean to be the people? But I want to give you some some clarity uh, Over the whole statement and then we'll jump in. What does it mean to be people connecting people to jesus? It means we want to live out Our god-given calling to connect others to jesus. Here's the point. Jesus is the point Jesus is the destination, right? And this is about introducing people to Jesus and helping them to live a life connected to Jesus. This is what it means to make disciples. This is what it means to be the people that Jesus is the point that we he's the destination. We are people connecting people to the destination of Jesus Christ. Why? Why do we do that? Because We all need the ever-restoring life that is found only in him. We all need the ever-restoring life of Christ. Jesus said what? He said, I have come to give you life, abundant life, a life full and free. And this ever-restoring life begins when we are saved, and it continues by the power of the Holy Spirit um, doing a work of restoration in us and doing a work of restoration Through us. So think about this for a moment. The moment you are saved, you aren't done, right? (laughs) You aren't saved to sit, right? You have been saved. You've been restored. And that begins the life of being restored. Every day, learning new. Every day, being renewed in Christ. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Experiencing this ever-restoring life for you every day. So that then someone else can experience the ever-restoring life of Christ through you. Where do we do this? Where do we live this out? Where do we live out this disciple-making calling? Where we live, where we work, and where we play. So that in every area of your life, we live on mission. Here's what that means. There is no area of our life exempt from the mission of God. Now, if you're like me, I can receive that almost all the way, but there's some pockets of my life where it's just easier not to live on mission, right? But we, we, we strategically chose that language of where you live, in your home, in your neighborhood, where you work, Your employees where you go to school and where you play, your social groups, the hobbies that you're into, the sports groups your kids are into. Every area of your life has become for you a kingdom platform that God has given you to live out the mission of seeing his ever-restoring life given to someone else by you connecting them to Jesus. That's what that means. I love how Will Mancini, if, if, if you were at our Renew event uh, last Sunday night, you had a chance to meet Will. Will's been very influential and, and impactful as we've navigated through this season of coming to this new mission. And I love what he says when it comes to h- how do we walk this out in obedience. Here's what he said. If we want to reach everyone everywhere, we have to reach someone somewhere. If we want to reach everyone everywhere... Which, by the way, I know that sounds enormous. Like, really? We're supposed to reach everyone everywhere? Well, only if we're going to obey the Great Commission. But if we don't want to obey that, then, you know, whatever. But what did Jesus say? He said, go into all the world and make disciples of how many nations? Every one of them baptizing them. Well, how do we do that? How do we reach everyone everywhere? It begins with you reaching your someone somewhere. It begins with me reaching my someone somewhere. That's how we reach everyone, everywhere. And what we want over the next few years is for new beginnings for this place to become the training center for equipping and then deploying disciples out to be an army of disciple makers. We want this to be the training center where you come and you are equipped and then deployed to go and make disciples. It's why I love the visual of the church being the aircraft carrier and not the cruise ship right we've talked about that before anybody ever been on a cruise right what's the purpose of the cruise it's not so that you can go to work right you're there to be fed for them to cater to your every desire for you to just sit back relax and be taken care of right you're there to receive what's the purpose of an aircraft carrier It's so that those that are out can come in, be refueled, be refed, be given their marching orders, and then be deployed to go and advance the mission. The church is not a cruise ship. It's an aircraft carrier. And what this place is is where we come to be fed so that we would then be redeployed to be disciples who go and make Disciples and what my hope for you, my desire for you, and, f- and for me, for each one of us, is that we would discover our God-given potential, our God-given calling, our God-given gifting. And then to see each of us released to go and reach someone, somewhere. That's the mission. And the mission mission of being a people, connecting people to Jesus, and his ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. Listen. This will be the, the defining marker of what it means to belong to this faith family. To belong to this faith family means that you are going to be people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where you live, work, and play. It, it, this is going to be the marker of what it means to live on mission here. But how do we move this from being words on a wall to a mission we live? It starts here. You and I, we have to see ourselves in the mission. We have to see our place in the mission. This is not some statement for an organization to just put up, but rather this is something we are all to share together as the people, as the people. So I want us to begin today by looking at why our mission statement starts with people. Why does it start with people? What does it mean for us individually? And how does that drive our mission? It's incredibly important that we all understand the mission statement does not say preachers connecting people to Jesus, (laughs) right? Ministers connecting people to programs. Elders connecting people to church membership. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say people connecting people to a church. Look out. That make anybody else other than me just a little uncomfortable? (laughs) But it doesn't say that. It says people connecting people to Jesus. For too many years, we've made the church the destination and not the person of Christ. But Jesus is the destination. Now, as as Jesus is the destination, will they plug into the church? You better believe it. And if they're not, you're not discipling them right? they're not, You're not making a disciple who has said, I'll take Jesus, just not the body of Christ. That's not a disciple. But we have made church the end-all be-all when really the church is the gathering place of those who have discovered Christ to be the end-all be-all. It's people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, where we work, where we play. So what does it mean to be the people? We're going to dive into this. We're going to Kind of discover this together from Matthew chapter 16. So if you want to grab your Bible, go to Matthew 16. While you're getting there, I'll kind of catch you up on um, where we are in the narrative. Jesus has spent about two years now healing, preaching, teaching. He's in this rhythm of of doing miracles and teaching in the synagogue and and, uh, people's lives are being changed. And the peoples whose, whose lives are being changed, they're going and spreading the word about Christ so that everywhere he goes, this massive crowd goes with him. And when the crowd gets around him, usually the Pharisees would come get into that crowd and try to catch him, try to trick him, try to get him to disqualify himself. And you see one of those moments at the beginning of Matthew chapter 16, and it's right out of this confrontation with the Pharisees that Jesus has this This turning point moment in a conversation with his disciples. Matthew 16 is a turning moment in the ministry of Christ. And you see it in the conversation he has with his disciples. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said... Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, And blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus has, he's taken his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. This is about 25 miles north of of Galilee, and this was a very populous city at the time, lots of people, probably uh, e- easy to find a huge crowd. It was a highly populated city, and I have to imagine Jesus probably looked at that city, looked at that crowd when he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? What are people's opinions of me? What have you heard people saying about me? Because there were all kinds of opinions floating around about Jesus, right? Well, some say you're, you're an Old Testament prophet who's returned. And some say you're John the Baptist resurrected, which I've always found that one interesting because Jesus and John the Baptist lived at the same time. And then John was martyred, and they're like, oh, he's John the Baptist resurrected, except he was here with John. Uh, It never made sense, but the disciples were like, some think you're John the Baptist resurrected, right? And then Jesus turns the question to the disciples. He says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? This is a really important moment. It's a massive question, and this question is really the point of the whole conversation. Jesus wasn't asking to really know the opinion that he was asking so that he could get to this moment with his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Why is that question so massive for the disciples? Because when Jesus asked that, when he asked, who do you say that I am? It was asked to immediately separate those who had a, just a popular opinion of Jesus from those who had a personal belief in Jesus. Right? Right? Jesus knew there were people who thought he was an Old Testament prophet, and those people probably thought that was the highest compliment they could pay him. Jesus, you're like Jeremiah. You're like Ezekiel. Man, you're like Elijah. Come back. They probably thought that was a huge compliment. They probably thought it was a huge compliment to say, we think you're John the Baptist resurrected. But Jesus was trying to help his disciples discover there is a difference of, from people who just think well of me to people who have a personal belief in me. And I wonder today if you've just thought well of Jesus but have never had a personal belief in Jesus. I just wonder today if you thought, man, he's good. I like everything that I know about you, but have you had that personal belief? Who do you say? that Jesus is. And the reason this moment is so critical and the reason the answer to that question is so critical is because it's critical to the mission of the gospel because until uh, the core followers of Jesus truly understand his identity, they cannot truly understand the gospel and they cannot live the mission. But once, once you fully know who he is, You can begin to live on his mission. So now I want you to notice Peter's answer to the question in verse 16. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Peter's answer is powerful. That is a powerful moment right there because Peter recognized, "You are the Christ, you are the deliverer that God has promised. You are God had promised he would send the great prophet, the great king, the great priest who would restore all that is broken." And Jesus, that's you. And while I don't believe Peter fully understood what it meant that Jesus was the Christ, what he did know was Jesus was God's salvation because he knew what Christ had done for him. This is a whole separate sermon, but I need 30 seconds. That Peter couldn't answer every question about what it meant that Jesus was the Christ did not keep Peter from living on mission. And too many of us have believed the lie that because I'm afraid I'm going to get asked a question I can't answer and I don't know enough, I'm just going to push, I'm just not going to share Peter didn't understand. How do do I know Peter didn't understand? Because he and the rest of the disciples got it wrong right up until the moment Jesus died. He was having to reframe their understanding because they didn't get it, but that didn't stop them from living on the mission. What Peter knew was what Jesus had done for him. And what you know, if you are a believer, you know what Christ has done for you, which means you are empowered with all that you need for the mission of God. Okay, back on track. What did it mean then if, if, if Peter knew that that Jesus was God's salvation? What did that mean? Jesus clarifies in verse 21, just a few verses down, how he's going to bring that salvation. Look at verse 21. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus makes it clear that the deliverance he came to bring, the restoration that he would bring would come through his death for our sins and his resurrection so that Um, that's how he would accomplish salvation. What does it mean for Jesus to be Messiah? It means he is the crucified king and the risen Lord. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now listen to how Jesus responds to Peter's declaration. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Listen to what Jesus says to that in verse 17. And Jesus answered "And Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah is just another way to say Simon, son of Jonah. That's what that means. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Peter, this type of faith in me, this understanding of who I am, didn't you didn't come to that by your mere intellect or your cleverness or your human intuition or your reasoning. You came to that because the Father in heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Opened your spiritual eyes to see me for who I am. And listen, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it isn't because of your cleverness or your human reasoning. It is because the Holy Spirit of God has opened your eyes to see Christ as Lord. And you can't come to him until that happens. How do I know? Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father, what? Draws them to me. It is in the work of the Father that our eyes are opened to see Jesus as all-glorious. And Jesus says, he pronounces a blessing on Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the Father has opened your eyes to see this. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are blessed because the Father has opened your eyes to see Jesus as all-glorious. Verse 18, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus tells Peter, it's on this confession. It's on this message that I am the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. He says, it's on that that I am going to build and establish my church. So now let's answer the question, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be the people who belong to the church of... If we're people connecting people to Jesus, what does it mean to be the people who belong to the church of Jesus? I've got two truths for you I want you to take hold of this morning. Here's the first one. What does it mean to be the people? It means this. We are a people called out and connected together through Jesus. We're a people called out and connected together through Jesus. He says to Peter... You're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I want you to hear me say, man can build a building, man can build programs, man can build organizations, but only Jesus can build the church. It belongs to him. It's his. He says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, this is a very familiar verse to us. I've heard it a lot, but I want to tell you why this verse is so powerful, why it's so epic, why it matters so much, because this is the first time the word church is used in the New Testament, and Jesus is the one who uses it. You don't find this word before Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. It's the first time it's used. Well, what is the church? What does he mean when he says, I'm going to build my church? That is, the word Jesus uses is a Greek word, ekklesia, Ekklesia, now it may surprise you to know that ekklesia does not mean building, it does not mean program, it doesn't mean location, it doesn't mean some form of worship. Ekklesia literally means a people called out. That's what it means, a people called out. This is a compound word that's built on two other Greek words, the Greek word ek, which means out from And the Greek word kaleo, which means to call by name. We get from ekkaleo, you get ekklesia, so that when Jesus wants to give his disciples an understanding of his church, and when he's helping them build the foundation of what and who his church is, he describes it as the ekklesia, a people called out. Well, called out from what? If I'm called out, then I'm called out from something and I'm called out to something. So what are we called out from? I think we get an understanding of this from Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. I'm going to put this on the screen. I want you to see this. Colossians 1, 13. What are we called out from? Here's how Paul describes it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's called us out. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has called us out of one kingdom and delivered us to another. Amen? It's called us out of darkness. Called out out means we have been called from something and called to something. We are called out and connected through Jesus. I want you to hear me this morning. The connection that we have as the people, is not that we are on the same role as members of New Beginnings Baptist Church. That's not the connection we have. It's it's not a connection that is built on geographical location, um, economic status, shared interest, ethnicity It's not even built on that deep East Texas accent that every one of you have, right? I know, I got it, right? It's not built on that. That's not the connection we have. Th- think about it this way. You are more deeply connected spiritually to a believer on the other side of the world than you are to a non-believer in your own family. That kind of... <laughs> Wait, what? You are more meaningfully connected and deeply connected spiritually to a believer who you've never met than you are to an unbeliever that you live with. Why? Because the connection has nothing to do with location, shared interests, shared values, shared political ideals. None. Of, it has to do with one thing, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll bring it home for, for Gilmer. Y'all don't throw anything at me when I say this, Okay. Here's what this means. You have a deeper connection spiritually to a Carthage bulldog that loves Jesus oh. than you do to a buckeye who doesn't. Thanks for not throwing anything. Do you hear what I'm do you hear the heart of what what I'm saying here? What connects us together? It isn't culture. It isn't society. It isn't that we make a similar amount of money so we can go to places on vacation. It isn't that we like the same sports and our kids do the same stuff. Anything wrong with that? No, but the deeper connection is Jesus Christ. That's how we're connected together. So what it means to be called out what it means to be the people is that we have a connection as a spiritual family it means that we as the people are connected together because we are the people who have been called out now here's the important point which is this being connected together through christ means first being called out to christ For you and I to share the connection that we have in Jesus, it means that each one of us have to first be called to Jesus. It means we have to confess that Jesus is Lord. This is why Paul says, if you confess with your mouth in Romans 10 that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the mouth one confesses is saved. With the heart one believes and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what we see Peter do right here in Matthew 16. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he confesses Jesus is Lord. You're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And it is in that confession that Peter binds himself to Jesus. And listen, if you've never come to a place where you have actively confessed that Jesus is Lord. And I don't mean you had a good opinion of Jesus. I mean actively confessed that he is Lord. And, and faith has ignited in your heart toward him, and you've been born again and made new. Hear me, you might be in the building, but you're not a part of the people. You go, man, that's harsh. But the people are those who are connected together through Jesus, through what he's done. But if that's you this morning, you go, man, I'm, I'm here, and I, but I've never confessed Jesus as a lawyer. What if today was the day? (laughs) What if today was the day that you confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that what he did on the cross for you paid the debt of your sin and you can be restored back to God and today was the day you became a part of the kingdom. This is why baptism is so important for us, by the way. Baptism is that declaration that I am connected to this family through Jesus. This church isn't built on a program. It isn't built on a personality. It isn't built on a place. It's built on a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the people who are the church of Jesus are those who are connected to one another through Christ. That's the first thing. We are called out, connected through Jesus. Here's the second point. We are a people sent out. What does it mean to be the people? It means we're a people sent out, connecting others to Jesus, connecting other people to Jesus. We are a people who are sent out on the offensive to connect others to Christ, to see them receive what we've received, to see them called out of the darkness that we were in, called out of darkness into the marvelous light of his kingdom. We're sent out. And one of the things that has helped me this week kind of get my brain and my heart around this is, is, and I hope it'll help you, is getting an understanding of the geographical location that Jesus has taken his disciples to. It says he took them to Caesarea Philippi. Here's what's important to to know about that is um, this was a very populated city. It was also a very pagan city. 25 miles north of Galilee, but this city of Caesarea Philippi was, it kind of settled at the base of Mount Haran, and it was a city for pagan worship, and they worshiped the Greek god Pan in the city of Caesarea Philippi. As a matter of fact, right into the side of Mount Haran, they had built a temple to Pan, and there was this massive statue of Pan that everyone worshiped, and at the base of that temple, at the foot Of that statue, there was this enormous cave, this enormous opening into the ground that was incredibly deep. As a matter of fact, the historian Josephus said, It's so deep, no one has yet to make the length of rope possible to find the bottom. Right? He, he, he said it is incredibly deep. As a matter of fact, it was so deep and so vast. The people in that city who worshipped this Greek god Pan, who, by the way, was the, the god of death, the god of sexuality and lust. It was one of the reasons this city was, was so dark. They believed that this vast, dark hole in the ground actually was a, was a portal into the underworld where Pan lived. Do you know what they called it? The gates of hell. That's what it was called, the Gates of Hades. That's, and, and to appease Pan, they would, they would sacrifice animals. They would throw live animals into the hole, and there would be publicly uh, just sexually illicit, perverted things done as worship to Pan, and this was pervasive throughout the city, and it was such a wicked place that most Jewish rabbis would forbid their people from ever going near it. They wouldn't let them go in. They said, you, don't even, you walk miles around, but you don't go to Caesarea Philippi. And yet, listen, this is where Jesus took his disciples. He got in a boat, went 25 miles north. He didn't take them there to do a miracle. We don't see him do a single one. He didn't teach the crowd a single thing. He took the 12 to Caesarea Philippi to do one thing, to give them a mission and to help them see we're going to call out a people. That's what he did. This is where he took them to teach them what it meant to be a people called out and sent out. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell that you have been taught all of your life to be afraid of and avoid, even those gates won't prevail against my church. Right there at the foot of that mountain that depraved mountain right there at the base of that giant statue of Pan with that God of death in full view at the abyss that opened up the gates. Right there, Jesus said, I'm going to build a church right here, right in this location. I'm going to call these people out of that brokenness. You see that perversion, that pervasive wickedness that is all over. I'm going to step into that and build a church. And do you know he did in the book of Acts? A demon-possessed girl was set free. You know where she was from? Caesarea Philippi. You know where Lydia was from who helped build the church? Caesarea Philippi. The Roman jailer who got saved because Paul and Silas didn't run away even though the jail fell apart. You know where he was from? Caesarea Philippi. God used them to go back and build. He he said, I'm going to get into this brokenness. And listen to me. I think too often we look at the brokenness in the world And we're repulsed by it. We look at it and we push away from it because it doesn't make us comfortable. It doesn't fit in the box of what we want to deal with and talk about and think about. And we're repulsed by the brokenness around us. And yet, to the most wicked city within reach, Jesus took his disciples and he said, you see that repulsive wickedness? I'm going to call these people out and I'm going to build a church right here. And you're going to storm the gates of hell. And they will not be able to prevail against the confession that Jesus is Lord. So don't miss this. Hear this today. We are not called out to run from darkness, but to run to it and engage it and conquer it. So where's the darkness in your life? Where's the brokenness? Where are the broken people in your life? And their lives are so broken that it just frustrates you. It repulses you. That they would be willing to live like that and act like that and think like that and make those kind of decisions. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm calling you out and sending you out so that you would be light in that dark. I think this is why in verse 19 he tells him, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give you authority and power over the very gates of hell. I think it's what he means in Matthew 28 when he says, All authority has been given to me, and I am now giving this authority to you to go and make disciples, to go and storm the gates of hell. And here's the promise, New Beginnings. When the called-out people of Jesus are sent out to connect other people to Jesus, nothing can stop us. The gospel is not defensive. It is offensive. Are you living on offense? Are you living sent out? Being the people sent out means that where we live, where we work, where we play is where God has sent you to make disciples. Think about it. If you're the only believer where you work, then it probably feels like you work at the gates of hell. Right? If you're one of the only believers in your school who's willing to try and walk in obedience to Jesus and be courageous, everybody will say they know him, but you're the only student willing to put your head up and your shoulders back and try to live for him. It may feel like you go to school at the gates of hell. But that job, that school, That's your kingdom platform. That's what God has given you to be a disciple who makes disciples. You know, you see this lived out in Peter's life. Jesus has this epic conversation with Peter. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, son of the living God, that's right. And on that confession, I'm gonna build a church that will last forever and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you see that played out in the ministry of Peter as Jesus is ascended and he is gone. And now Peter is about the business of actually building the church and ministering to the church. And later in his life, he's established churches. And in his letter, in First Peter, he's writing to the persecuted church, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's writing to a church that is suffering. He begins it by saying, I'm writing this to the people who have been dispersed. You've been scattered all over, not because you wanted to be, but because you're being persecuted. They had lost jobs, homes, everything, and they were being dispersed. And he writes this letter to people who probably felt like they were at the epicenter of darkness in their life. And listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people. Called out, right? You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, that you may live sent out. The excellencies excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right in the middle of their suffering, right in the middle of their hardship, right in the middle of feeling like they were at the gates of hell, Peter said, you are the called out ones and you have been called out to be sent out. And the same thing is true for us, church. You have been called out to be sent out. That's what it means to be the people. So what does this look like at New Beginnings? means every Sunday we're going to continue to gather and worship and lift our voices and encourage one another and be fed it means every Wednesday we're going to continue to get in this room and pray and seek the face of God and I would tell you as a disciple I mean don't discount either one of those engage in both of those they're critical we're going to worship and we're going to pray but listen to me what this means for us is that then we are going to leave this place and we are going to storm the gates of hell, and we are going to live on mission, called out and sent out wherever we go. We're going to be a people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life, where we live, where we work, and where we play. So here's the first question I want to ask you, just as we're kind of wrapping up, is this. Are you in the people? Are you in the church? I don't mean as your physical body here. I mean, have you actively confessed that Jesus is Lord, and has faith ignited in your heart to, for you to believe in Him and you have made Him the Lord of your life? You've been born again. Has that happened? Because the life God has for you begins there. It begins. Up until that moment, it's just your best effort. Fingers crossed. Hope it works out. But in that moment, it's a full surrender to Jesus and trusting. The best life I was created for happens when I confess he is Lord. Believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Receive the gift of salvation. Let my faith be ignited and be born again. Has that happened? If not, it's why you're here today. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray to receive Christ. Have you been baptized? Have you declared, I'm a part of this people? I'm, a part, I'm, a, I'm connected to them through Jesus. And then my last question is this. Have you answered the call to be sent out? Have you answered the call to be sent out? We aren't saved to sit. We are saved to be sent. Are you living on the mission? If you're this morning like me, I've come under a lot of conviction of of not being a disciple who makes disciples. And uh, much of this week and much of this morning has been me on my my knees here at this altar, praying, repenting, and asking God to renew my sight for what it means to live on mission for Him. So I'm gonna invite you to just pray with me for a moment. Just bow, and maybe... With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if if I said just a moment, I just asked a question. Are you in the people? Are you in the church? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Something in you just stirred and you knew that that has not happened for you. You've never once and for all settled the issue of salvation in Christ. that's you and you know you need to do that, you want faith to ignite and love for God to ignite and to be born again, it's as simple as just praying something like this. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me between you and the Lord. Father, I need Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you and I do not want to be separated from you any longer. You are calling me out of darkness. Would you save me and deliver me into your kingdom, your church, your people? If that's you this morning, maybe you, maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time. Maybe you meant it for the first time. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to be very courageous, just right where you are. Would you just look up and stand up? I prayed to receive Jesus today. I've made him the Lord of my life. I've settled this issue. Would you just look up and stand up for a moment? Okay. Here's what that means. Every one of you are declaring that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. So my next question is this. Are you living sent? Are you living on mission? Are you making disciples? If not, here's what the next few minutes for you look like. It looks like you spending some time in prayer. Maybe you're going to come get on your knees down here and just say, God, I need you to renew my vision for this. Give me a heart for broken, for the brokenness around me. Help me see my kingdom platform. Help me live sent. Let's stand. Father, I pray that for the next few moments as we worship and as we respond, you would be honored in what we do and in our obedience in Jesus' name.